Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a TED Talk and keynote speaker, an endurance athlete, a type one diabetic and author. It's Sebastian Sussville. How are you doing today, Sebastian? Pretty good, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to learn more about you and your Rise of the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests, we go straight to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Um, so I live in Quebec City and right now I'm from uh, Saint-Patrice de Beau-Rivage. That's a very small town, village, um, about an hour away from here. So that's where I, I grew up. And um, I mean, we didn't even grow up like <laughs> downtown the village. It was like out there in the forest, in the country. Um, so, I mean, what I was involved with, I mean, it was just work. Um, I, I, you know, we lived so far away from everything else that I, I was not involved in sports, uh, which might be a surprise for your guests who, who know a bit of my story. Um, and we're just surrounded by farmland. And it was such an important thing to my, my, my parents that we started to work and that we did that early. And it's funny how every podcast is different because what I'm about to say, I've never shared anywhere else. My first job, I made $3 per hour and it's the hardest I have ever worked. Like, I mean, I was like getting up at five and then biking to work you know rain or you know shine and it sometimes it would just be like 15 minutes of, of biking under pouring rain and then you get there and you work so hard and you're literally shoveling you know what i mean and, and just getting kicked by the cows and it's awful and then you come and and my uh my boss is pretty greedy and and um you know, so it would, it would like count my hours by, you know, every 15 minute increment. So if I work two hours and 15 minutes, like I would literally come home with $7. It was, it was tough, but um, um, it was not about the money. And I, I understood that years later, my parents just wanted us to learn how to work, to work hard, to commit to something, to, to do good work. And uh, I'm, today I'm thankful uh, for all those experiences. Working at that young of an age, did it help you grow like work ethic skills and understand the value of money in a way that maybe some people growing up where they're just given the money? Totally. I mean, I look at, and, and I look at, at kids now, and by kids now, I mean, millennials, people in their 20s. Now, I started to work, I was 12, right? And now, and, and, and in a way, it's so good that they have it better. This is the whole point of life, that you make a better life for your children, right? So I'm not, this is all good. That being said, um, like we learned so much about ethics, about you know, I, I, I don't care, you know, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's not going to be pleasant. Sometimes, I mean, I, I, and I'm all about, I, I, today, you know, 30 years later, my passion is my work. So, so I paid my dues and I, I could not imagine a life where I don't do something I love. Right. Um, so, but, but these early experiences, the failures, 
tough jobs, jobs you hate, um, they're, they're so critically important um, because that's when you learn the most important things in life. I totally agree with that. I think, yeah, I think some with my generation, you kind of see people just get it easy and they don't work hard for anything. And then when they have to, they don't know how to react. And I was brought up kind of similar where you had to work for everything. If you wanted that item, you got to work for it. You got to do chores and all that. And now living on my own, you kind of respect that in a way, like you said, you kind of are thankful because you know how hard it is. Do you wish that you were living in like the forest nature? Do you kind of wish that you were in the city life or did you kind of enjoy being in that peaceful setting? I don't know if it was peaceful, but it's more nature kind of is relaxing. You kind of enjoy wildlife in a way. Um, I, yeah, no, I'm happy that's the upbringing that I had. Um, but at the time, you don't know. At the time, you're just happy you just you don't know anything else that's that's your world so um so so i i just loved the setup back then and it, it's you know today 30 years later it's you can't really say well i wish i had that or i wish i had a different i mean it was everything we are the good and the bad is created by our environment so i'm 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 you know, so the, the, the qualities of your parents, um, their weaknesses, that, 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 that makes you, it builds you. And, and everything they do good, then you don't do so good. And everything you hate about them, then it becomes one of your strengths, right? So, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the whole environment uh, I, I grew up in. And that's, that includes living in the country, that includes the parents, um that i had with their weaknesses and, and their strengths that includes everybody that the universe presented to me along my journey um i think that's where um i was i was i was lucky um to be honest uh, there's luck involved in life and uh, that's just it and um i had that in in but it's important to realize it and and you know, um, give, give back. Did you have any motivations or inspirations growing up? Someone that you looked up to or something that you looked up to? I looked up to, uh, my grandfather a lot. Um, so my, my mom's dad, um, he, he was funny. He was smart. He was hardworking and he, it was this kind of wise old man who took care of everybody, um, who supported everybody in different ways, at different times. Um, he did that for his family. He did that for, it was very involved in charities and, and things like that. Um, and and uh, he, he was good at manual work with, and he was a farmer, right? And he, was, he embodied that hardworking, um, um persona and he passed several years ago when he was 94 i think so i mean he was born in an early 19 1900s and, and um so yeah I, I looked up to um to him tremendously i know everybody in our family did when you took those skills and everything 
now looking back or now where you are today, do you use those same skills as you're taking care of family or you're taking care of things and trying to portray what your grandfather did? Yeah. Yeah. The short answer is yes. Um, and obviously I looked up to my parents as well. My dad, who I've learned so much from, but, um, you know, today I don't have kids. I, I, I thought I, <laughs> I'm 41. I, I thought I would have kids. It's, it did not happen for me and I don't think it will, but I have this very paternal gene, um, in me. Um, you know, I, 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 I bought a, um, I mean, investing in real estate and, you know, apartment buildings. And one of the first things that came to mind the first time that I bought one was, you know, my sister has kids. Uh, so I was like, all right, you know what, Geneviève, like maybe your, your kids, you know, when they go to university, they can stay there. Right. So taking care of my, my tribe. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely, uh, within me. What was that dream job that you were wanting growing up? <sighs> I wanted to be an architect. Okay. I wanted to be an architect and, and you know, and that's when I was like, seven, 10 years old, when all the little boys want to be a fireman or a policeman, right? And uh, I really, really want, and I, I wanted to be an architect for at least a decade, leading up to that moment in life when you actually have to choose, you know, graduating from high school, and then you kind of have to make career choice. And I laugh because it's funny because you're 17, which <laughs> makes no sense, right? That you have to make career choice that young. Um, and, uh, leading up to that day, I wanted to be an architect. And when I, like I wrote the form deciding what I was going to study and st study and stuff, I changed my mind at, at the time, at that time. I think it's the, it's the craziest thing that you have to make that life making decision at that age. And you're like, well, whatever path you take, you got to stick to that. But then when you get to college, it's like, nope, you change it. So when you went to university, what were you going for? What was that degree? So I started uh, to be not an accountant, but like a technician. Um, and uh, I admired people who went to college, but at the time, and I think there was a bit of my grandfather in that, um, it, it just it felt too remote. It felt like I wanted to own a business. Um, I wanted to build something, create something. And, uh, so I said, I'm just going to go get some, some, um, fine, you know, accounting, financial knowledge, get out of there as quickly as possible so that I could start my business. And, um, in 2020 or 2021, this is the cool thing to say. Um, you know, 10 years ago, we went through a, a phase where it was celebrity chefs and now we have celebrity entrepreneurs. I don't know what the next thing is going to be. So it's very sexy to talk about being an entrepreneur uh, now. But 20 years ago, when the, <laughs> the word entrepreneur did not even exist or was not used, um, like that's really wanted, what I wanted to do. I wanted to run a business. And, um, and uh, <laughs> then I, I realized it wasn't that simple. And I opted to go to university. I did that, studied communications, PR, which kind of, um, and that's what my dad did. He was, he was a PR person. And so unconsciously, you know, as much as I looked up as my grandfather, I mean, your father is your father, right? So I, I, I just, 
went for something that my dad did and um and today i'm you know i i am a professional speaker so kind of the communication does help because yeah. you took those skill sets in a way i mean it's definitely different than architecture that you were wanting when you were growing up do you kind of wish that you took maybe like enjoyed that college experience or it didn't matter you were just trying to get done quickly as possible Oh man, like you have no idea how much I enjoyed it, how much I miss it now. Uh, <laughs> man, okay, like a few weeks ago, I sold um, like my old fridge and, uh, you know, for cheap. So college students picked it up and they showed up totally unprepared, no straps or anything. They were just going to put it in the car. And I'm like, first of all, you guys are idiots. And then second of all, I'm like, oh, man, I miss that time in my life. Like, can I, all right, I'll make a deal. I'll give you the fridge, but bring me to a university party. Uh, yeah, no, so I, I, I loved it. Um, anybody who's, who's uh, thinking about college or in college right now, like the, the degree you get at the end is irrelevant. Um, don't stress. It's, I, I see so many people being stressed out about college and COVID and it's, it's the easiest, easiest and most fun time of your life. And if you think college is stressful, well, good luck <laughs> for real life. So, and it's stressful for some, and I kind of joke right now, but it, because that's all you know at the time, right? But what it really is, yes, you will get a diploma, but it won't be a competitive edge because everybody's going to have it too. Um, it's, it's, you learn a little more about life, you, the network. It's all about the network, the people you meet there because they're all gonna end up in, in good jobs and good companies. And that's the most precious thing uh, about college, the, the network. I think that's totally correct. I think it's the people you meet. I think that's the college experience right there. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids just stress out about tests or getting a certain GPA and stuff. And, some companies look at GPAs. I know the company I'm at though didn't really look at it. They kind of took, they didn't even look at my degree. They looked at what did I do in college and my experience. And yeah. I think, wow, did I really go four years to get this paper that has nothing to do with what I'm doing? But oh. if you put it correctly, it's the experience and the atmosphere is what's important than just yeah. the tests. Yeah. And you are learning stuff and you are building some, some expertise. And I mean, if you spend four years studying engineering, of course you will know a lot <laughs> about that. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, it's important, but people want to, companies want to hire intelligent, well-rounded humans who have emotional intelligence, social intelligence, who can, perform not on a test, but in real life, we can have a conversation with a client, understand what, what's important to them. And then it's not about regurgitating everything you learn. It's about listening to a client um, and, and figuring out what's important to them and then serving, you know, serving uh, them. So, yeah. After college, a big thing, a big moment happened in your life at the age in 2002. Talk about that moment. Yes. So that's when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, you know, chronic condition, um, incurable. So that's the thing, because it's it, one thing is to, 
everybody goes through tragedy or um, you know a, a tough period. But when you're diagnosed with type one diabetes, you're told you're going to live with this for the rest of your life, and um, and that's hard because you don't know anything about the condition um, at the time. You don't know if it's going to limit your life, if your dreams are possible. Um, because when you're 22, you have dreams so and, and goals and ambitions. And now you, you, you don't even know if you'll get to try, right? To, so that was hard. Um, um, and, and at the time, I was not active, uh, not very into sports. As I said, I was a really good college. <laughs> student like I just miss it so much and um and, and there was that that very quick turnaround it was all right so I know that what I'm doing is fun I know it's not healthy and now there's something that's forcing me to be healthier and um I don't know if it was wisdom or just being a little slow but I was like <laughs> it's like it's one or the other like it's either I'm really smart or really dumb but it was like all right that's my new life mm -hmm. and there wasn't you know I mean obviously you're going to be sad and it's it's dark for a little while but kind of quickly it was like all right I'll be healthy instead and um and uh yeah that was my my what happened uh, when I was 22. I was diagnosed when I was 11. So you're at that age where you're just trying to enjoy life, have fun and stuff. Do you think it's easier or harder for someone at when you were diagnosed to be able to maybe understand it a lot more than someone like when I was diagnosed at a younger age? Ah, that's such a good question. I, I don't know. I think every scenario as their pros and cons um like i i know for a fact you're you're at 22 you were a lot more mature than i was because you i mean i as a young adult i went to camp i spoke to kids who were your age when diagnosed and it's beautiful to see how mature they become most of them and um so yeah, I mean, and you could say that I was lucky, like I could go through my teens and early 20s without it, have some experiences and um, didn't have to worry about diabetes. Um, I don't know, I think life's about becoming a better person, um, learning, becoming more mature, um, learning to serve, to be impactful, to leave a legacy that's not about you, but about impact you had and and uh i have no idea what my life would be if i had not been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and i'm i'm so thankful that i was and i know some some people whether it's patients or parents of, of kids with type 1 diabetes when i say that they just hate it or it doesn't sit well with them and and i totally understand I mean, I mean, obviously we, we don't want, we wish that nobody was that. So there's things that I hate about it, but it became a vehicle for me. You know, like I, I, 
I hate that I have to test my blood sugar. I have, I hate that I have high blood sugars and low blood sugars, and I hate that it's a pain. I hate all that, but the vehicle it, it became of, of personal growth. Of, like when I was 22, I was just, uh, I, I was arrogant. I was not mature. I, 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 I was partying a lot. I was, um, yeah, nothing good. And, and it just, it was, um, it helped me to be humble. It, 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 it helped me to help others. It helped me to take care of my body. It helped me to stop destroying my body. Um, and, and yeah, so, so I'm thankful that it helped me a lot in life. When, before we had this talk, I found an interview where you did say why or why I'm glad that I was diagnosed. And to me, when I hear that, I kind of can see myself in that same way because it, I don't know what my life would have been if I didn't have it, especially when I got diagnosed and I had to go through it through the teen years and the college years. And I had that time where I partied. I mean, I still enjoyed my time, but I wasn't as crazy as I could have been. So I do wonder what my life would have been. But is there a time where you've had it where it was a huge struggle? Like you kind of had those mindsets where it was negative because I've had those moments, but you know that this is the rest of your life. You're going to have to deal with this. But have you had those moments? Never. I want your life then. <laughs> I want that. I, I had moments where I, I wasn't happy that I had it. Mm -hmm. Moments of frustrations. Um, okay, so today I had a tough workout on the bike. I, I, I thought I, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at controlling blood sugar when I exercise. Um, my challenges are elsewhere, but I dedicated a chunk of my life to exercise and I got, I'm comfortable to say it. I'm, I'm very good at managing blood sugar when I exercise. Um, but again, I have other challenges with diabetes elsewhere. And today I did a key workout, tough workout, and I just blew it. Like my, my, my blood sugar was elevated the whole time. And I was very, very frustrated. Um, it was a, toward me, toward diabetes, toward I am so committed. I'm putting so much work, effort, sacrifice, love, passion, time, energy, money. I'm pouring my life into this athletic venture work. And I'm just so frustrated. Uh, that was six hours ago today. So, so yes, there, there are, so to answer your question, there are moments to this day still where I, I'm, I hate it. I'm not happy that I have it, but overall, if you're asking me, was there ever like a two month period where you were depressed every single day because you never, never. And I traveled, I climbed high, I partied hard. I, 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 I built businesses. I, I, I loved, I, I, I did everything, um, uh, with diabetes and, uh, it's never been like, I, it never, like when I ran across Canada, when I was training for Everest, when I'm 
thinking about going um, elsewhere for a few months because it's snowing right now and it's COVID and we're confined and I just want to get the hell out of here and go somewhere warm for three. Never, ever, it enters my mind that diabetes is a limitation. Now, or that I cannot do it because of diabetes. Now, that being said, am I spending a ton of hours to make sure I'm going to be fine? Absolutely. So, so I will travel with so much diabetes supplies. I will do researches, spend hours making sure where I'm going, I have access to, to care, or can I buy, you know, if I wanna buy insulin in Nicaragua, like, can I do that? Do I need a prescription? Is it that, like, like I will pour hours and hours and hours of work um, into a project to make sure that it'll all be fine. Um, but it, it, yeah, never entered my mind that it, it would be a, a, a limiting factor. Talk about the path to becoming an endurance athlete. What made you want to get into that? Um, so it was, uh, you know, earlier, um, in this conversation, I said I was lucky. Um, so I, 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 I met inspiring people. So my life was a mess before diabetes and I was diagnosed. Then I decided to be active and I decided to be healthy. And, and it's funny when you, you, you commit to those things, the universe responds and says, all right, if you're serious, I'm going to help. Um, so I kept meeting inspiring people um, and people that made me want to be active. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I started to run, I started to climb, I started to do all these things and, and the peaks got bigger and bigger and bigger and, and the runs got longer and longer and longer. And then I committed to big challenges. I, yeah, so, so I became an endurance athlete one step at a time. Um, there was a time where I couldn't run, you know, a mile to save my life. And, and uh, that's in my early, early 20s. Like I was not that kid who was good in sports. So, um, um, yeah, it was just one step at a time. Um, and then you, you, you start loving it. You, you start loving how you feel when you take care of the temple and uh, then you want to do a little bit more. And then that entrepreneur kind of mentality, I want to win. I want to, I just kicked in and helped me as an athlete. And, um, and then I, you just want to, do a little more every day. And that's been kind of my secret recipe or strategy. You don't have to do a lot as long as you're always in movement. And as long as you do a tiny little bit more than yesterday, and I don't care if it's one minute more, but as long as you're consistent with the, the work and improving what you do. And next thing you know, you run across countries. <laughs> so you talked about one of the challenges being climbing Mount Everest. How did you know that was a challenge that you wanted to take on? Oh, that, 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 that dates, you know, from way before diabetes. I, I, as a kid, I, I just, I, because I grew up in a small town, because it was very, uh, a very Catholic, very conservative upbringing, simple, um, humble, and uh, I guess that was my, my way to, to not rebel, but it was like, to me, like traveling wasn't to go to the 
country next to yours. It was going halfway across the world. Like, where's the furthest that I can go? That's traveling. Um, so, so I love climbing in trees. I have so many, this is one of my earliest memories in, in life, how much I love climbing in trees. And I did it with my friends and, um, and, and uh, then you, you hear about Everest, you see films and documentaries about it and, and mountaineering and all that. And it just, I don't know, the people who were doing that, it, it just, it, it, it looked really, really, really hard. Um, it looked challenging. It felt like, you know, if you can do that, there's not much you can't do. Um, and, and yeah, I just had a fascination uh, for big mountains and Everest. And that's how it all, that's how it all started. Um, and then in my early twenties, uh, well, yeah, like I worked on a few different projects. I wanted to ski across Greenland, things like that. And it, never worked um i think i was in love with the idea with the 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 end point the summit but i didn't understand what it required um not enough love for the process respect for the process like i it just it's something cool right so i wanted to do it um and that's why all of these projects failed and then i Again, because of diabetes, like it gave purpose to what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, I'm not invincible. Um, and I can see already a lot of people who suffer because they, they have this disease, they're depressed, they blah, blah. So, so it, it injected a lot of fuel and purpose, which is fuel, into my quest for, for doing something big. And, 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 and then Everest was just what I wanted to do. Was this an opportunity to show other diabetics that you're able to do anything that you put your mind to it and show that we don't have limitations because of what we are going through? Definitely. Definitely. Um, it, it, um, the whole project was built around that. So initially you, you have to want to do it for you because it's your passion, because it makes you happy, because you just want to do it. Even if nobody knows about it, if there's no sponsors, if no one is going to hear about this, you just have to want to do it for you because it makes you happy. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and then, well, <laughs> you need a few bucks, right, to, to, to put together a big project to, to get out there. And um, the whole thing was built so that it would inspire people living with type one diabetes. It was, if I can do that, then there's nothing a person with type one diabetes can't do. Um, so it was, in a way it was trying to lead by example, trying to inspire by example. And, um, um, and sometimes people ask like, was it hard when you came back and, and, and you know, how do you feel after a big project like that? And everything I wanted to do, like started after that. It was, it was because it was about the message. It was about not so much what I was doing. It was about what it meant. And that's what I was focused on when I was climbing, but when I was building a project and a sponsorship, sponsorship proposal two years prior, the climb, 
I was focused on what it meant and how it could inspire and transform the lives of others. And I, I think it gave me energy to complete, to execute, and it, it gave me, it also made the project appealing to, you know, big businesses who decided to sponsor. Did you have a hard time getting sponsors or being able to convey what you're wanting to accomplish or were you getting that backing easily? Nothing's easy. Um, nothing's easy, which is okay. Um, no, it was, it was, um, it took a few years to get to a point where I had built a relationship with a company. Um, so when I, I, and I was working for that company and it was a large, you know, fortune 1000 company and they were in the diabetes space. So, um, so, well, first of all, I wanted to work there because I wanted to be, have an impact. I wanted to help people with diabetes. Um, so, so my why, like, see, this is important. My professional why was not different from my personal why. It was all connected, and that creates a very coherent and compelling um, and persuasive narrative. You're not faking. You, you're not faking it. You're just so committed to your life's work. Um, so I remember the first day that I started in this company. I was a kid. I, I uh, you know, mid twenties, and I came from the bar industry straight to a Fortune one thousand company, and I have no clue about politics at the time, and what you should and shouldn't do, you know. And 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 my first day in, I emailed you know, the CEO, which is my bosses, 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 bosses. You just can't do that, right? Or it was the president of the company, not a CEO. But I'm like, I would like, you know, one that want to climb Everest and, you know, I'd like to talk sponsorship. This is day one. And he took the meeting and I, I know it probably offended my direct supervisor at the time, but um, he took the meeting. I, I, told him about what I wanted to do. And then we didn't really talk for years, but, uh, um, but he said, when you're ready, come back and see me. So the company, they gave small sponsorship um, to me and uh, we learned to work together. We started to craft a relationship, build a relationship. Um, my message got better and, and um, it was like any relationship. It was, it, it had to be built. And at every stage, if you do something wrong, then there's kind of opening the door for, you know, for them to say no. Um, so, um, yeah, it took a lot of work. If you didn't go straight to the president, do you think it would have taken you a lot longer to eventually get that sponsorship? I don't know. I don't know. Um, What I know about politics now, maybe it would have helped not to go to him straight. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it, it was, it, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that this is what I wanted to do with or without them. Um, I looked for sponsorship elsewhere. I, I, everybody knows that. I went to their, you know, uh, competitors for other pro uh, projects. I was, this is what I'm doing. And I believe it's impactful. 
and I'm doing it. So do you want to be a part of it? And I think this is an important mindset. I get calls from people who look for sponsorships all the time. Like I, I deal well with um, finding sponsorships for big projects. Like the run across Canada was a half a million dollar project. Um, and and, and, um, and I, first of all, I did well with sponsorship because I, I, I did every possible mistake you could do. Uh, so I learned and learned and learned and learned and learned. Um, but to be, you just want to put yourself in a position where you're not asking, you're not begging, right? So you're, you're going no matter what, and, and you have to shift the conversation from please give me money to this is happening and this is bringing some value to a lot of people. Do you want to be a part of it? Um, cause if you don't, I know somebody else will, um, it almost sounds like you're trying to put these companies in a battle with each other to who, who wants to be a part of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to be a hundred percent honest for Everest, it did not happen because like that, because I was younger, less experienced, I, I, I did not understand the game. So I, I, it was just a company that I worked for. They knew that's what I wanted to do. We built a relationship. And when did they come? I asked for a little more and they said, yes, we're going to do it now. For other projects later, absolutely. I, I've purposely made companies felt like there was, um, you know, your, your biggest competitor is about to sign a check. So what are you going to do? Um, yeah, definitely. I think the way that you mentioned where you learned from doing the sponsorships, I think it shows a lot about what, like you talked about being an entrepreneur and all that. It shows that you're willing to do anything. And I had that same moment where I was putting charity events and I thought, oh, let's try something new that's never been done on my campus. Still, it has not been done at the level that I did it at. Where I went to these companies and I said, hey, we do these charity events. I know a way that you can get involved at my school that has never been done. And I think it showed the growth and being able to put a pitch on, show numbers and stuff that when I was able to do it and raise all that money, none of the money was going to me. I was, we were all about a charity and it's my greatest accomplishment that I've done. One of many now as time has gone by, but this was in college that has never been done. And I still have that connection with these companies that you're like, oh no, you're, you, you're, they're gonna be done with you. No, I still get calls, hey, these people saw your ad or, the shirt that you've done now because i have 30 shirts out there with all these companies on and it's it's a great way to promote a free way and i love it i mean i wish i still got into sponsorship but you never know what can happen but i love yeah. sponsorship business i think it's a great thing yeah yeah I, it, it's not easy but i mean i love what you're sharing right it's you just have to do something different you have to commit to something big you you have to have some skin in the game you it just and then you know when you say something different i mean what they hear is wow like i'm i'm going to differentiate myself and we might do better right so yeah absolutely and, and it takes some courage to do that as well which also connects with our previous kind of conversation where people are stressed with college and they shouldn't like, like one test 
one failed exam or project like we're talking about now is never going to define your life. And that's the problem. Like people think that failing that exam is going to have a permanent impact on your life. But it was, that's never happening. Like you, you can screw up really bad and it's still not going to have a, that much of an impact on, on your life. It's just life, right? And you learn, everybody makes mistakes and you just have to get back up and learn from that and commit to something even bigger. And you just, yeah, when you learn to love to fail and it's not about loving failure like in a sadistic you know way it's just about it's it's not a love for failure it's a love for growing and learning which involves that you remove ego from that very 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 key uh, that's a problem now with social media and everybody's trying to look cool uh yeah don't do that when you thought about the idea of running across Canada, why? Why did you want to do that? Was it a, a basically a challenge or a rise to a challenge that no one has done it before? Um, others have done it before, and it's surprising. Um, it's like obviously Terry Fox is is um, the most famous person who's attempted it, but. Um, no, it was, well, I personally, which is a very, very small part of it, but personally for my little enjoyment, it just sounded like a ton of fun to run a marathon a day. Um, and I didn't break any records, but it, it was just, I was excited by that. I wondered if I would finish, if I could do it, but that's a tiny part of the project. So this is after Everest. This is after a few Ironmans. This is after an ultra in the Sahara. So I'd, I had built some confidence about my, my ultra running capabilities. And uh, when I speak, I, I say that I, I kind of started a lot of talks talking about how I sucked in sports uh, as a kid, which is true but it was in organized uh, sports, which is what you do in school. What I found out later in life is that I have an, an abnormally low but healthy heart rate and I can go for a very long time. Um, so individual endurance sports were more for me. And um, so the challenge sounded fun, but it was all about diabetes. It was an aware, awareness campaign. And it's really when we started to think about the logistics that it became really appealing in terms of what kind of impact we could have. We realized, wow, like I could be in a different town every day. I could be in a different diabetes center every day. I could be talking to different media every day. Um, I could be talking and raising awareness in a big way for about a year throughout the country. Um, and have a really big impact. And because we're running, uh, and I say we, it was me running, but it was such a, it, it is not an individual accomplishment. Like hundreds of people have made that project, project possible. But we, we realized, wow, it would be, it's actually possible that we could reach every single person who lives with type one or type two diabetes in Canada. Um, whether it was in person, through social media, mass media, events, you name it, the whole array. Um, and that became 
the goal. Like we want to reach and potentially impact 3 million people living in di with diabetes in Canada. That was incredibly appealing. So that's why I went for it. So you took more of the approach where it wasn't being selfish in a way, like a personal enjoyment. You were doing it for every person out there, the 3 million people with it. And that's what you were doing it for. Totally. Totally. That, that was the, the, the ultimate fuel because it's hard and it hurts and it, it takes a long time. Like think about it. Like you you have to run a marathon a day or almost for close to nine months. So it's going to hurt a lot uh, for a long time and two days into the whole thing. Right. But and to this day, sometimes I'm thinking, wow, like, how did that happen? Like, how did it work? And I didn't really get injured. Again, everything was hurting tremendously, but no big break that I would, you know, stop me for a few months or weeks. Um, and that was the purpose was the fuel. Uh, totally. And, and that's one of the greatest things I've learned um, so far. Like that purpose is the ultimate fuel. Um, and that's why I was doing it. Do you know with everything that's going on now, did you have a plan for what was next as an athlete? What did, did you have another country that you wanted to run across? I mean, the United States would be a challenge. Um, yeah, I'd love that. States. Or did you kind of have that moment where whatever happens, happens? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was proud about the accomplishment. Um, I wanted to digest and, you know, reflect on it. And, um, and I got back to Ironman racing, which is my big focus right now. Um, um, so yeah, I, I didn't really know, but it, it was the, the, but, but the, the purpose never changed. Mm -hmm the expression of of that purpose yeah it's going to vary and then sometimes you're injured and sometimes you want to run across canada sometimes you're committed to ironman racing and who knows what's what it's going to be in five years but the purpose is is, is the same i just want it to be impactful so and that 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 helps to to deal with the unknown and and to and and of course that's something that i'm doing for fun right so there's no my salary doesn't depend on it it's just it has to remain fun how did you get involved in keynote speaking and doing ted talks um so the the what i did is a tedx which is uh like a baby ted talk uh just just you know to to be uh, humble and uh um i started speaking by accident um in 2005 i took kids to climb mount kilimanjaro and uh, so that's the highest peak in africa um it's not a challenging peak it's just a long walk but it's kind of you know the last few meters are pretty tough and you're in high altitude and not everybody summits um, and it was to raise awareness, to raise money for JDRF and all that. And, um, uh, we raised $250,000 it was 10 kids, you know, $20 donations average. Mm -hmm. So it was cool. 
Um, we made the local media, a uh, bunch of stuff, and uh, then a company reached out. Uh, it was an insulin company, not to name them. And uh, they said, and it was a local rep who said, hey, I've got a meeting. Uh, you know, we've got about 250 nurses there. Um, do you want to come and speak about your, what you guys did? And I'm like, of course. And then he goes, what's your fee? And I had no clue what he was talking about. No clue. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? What's my fee like? Um, and he's like, how much money do you want? And I just wanted to go because it was, you know, 250 nurses. So of course I'm going. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so, so I'm like, no, I want to go because it's, I, I'm proud about what we did and I, I, I want to inspire people. He's like, no, but how much money do you want? Do you want? And I, back then I was working an hourly wage and I'm thinking, all right, so I'm making 10 bucks an hour right now. He wants me to, <laughs> to speak for an hour. So I'm like 10 bucks, but that's not what I said. Right. But I, I just could not comprehend what he was talking about <laughs> in terms of fees. Right. And um, so, so I went, I think I got paid $300 for that talk. And, uh, and I loved it. I, I loved presenting. I loved, um, I felt impactful and everybody clapped and it was, it felt good. Um, and then I, I, I did more and more, um, for years I, I did it for fun. I did it as, as a sideline. And, and, and then at one point I, I, I just, I heard about speakers who were doing that for a living and I'm like, all right, I want to, I want to do that. This is, this is good. And I, I, it was in 2012, so a little over eight years now that I, I left my day job and I said, I want to, I want to do this for a living. I think it just shows the passion. Like money is not a factor in that because there could, I, when you said like you didn't know how much I'm thinking, man, he could have said any number and I, it'd be so interesting to see would they accept it in a way, but it just shows that you're more focused on spreading a message, not how much can I get out of this? Yeah. And, and today, so 10 years, well, uh, 15 years later, I mean, I do well. I'm a, one of the busy speakers in Canada and I, my fees have, have gone up and I'm <laughs> proud about what I do. And, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a job, it's a business, but I, I always go back to, you know, sometimes when I have a bad day, a tough client, I go back to these dozens of talks that I did for kids at diabetes camp, you know, talking to 12 kids who are eight years old, we're like, literally, we're not at the Ritz, right? We're sitting down uh, on the grass outside, and they're just listening to every word you're saying. And it's, it's, it's about making them feel like they can do anything and it was it was absolute that was pure speaking mm -hmm. it doesn't any it doesn't get any more pure than that it was a small audience um it was it was not fancy and it was a hundred and it was a top audience right because you're speaking to businessmen if you're boring you're still gonna listen right uh, they might be on your phone on their phone but it's it's manageable kids if if you're not a great speaker 
I mean, they'll do, just like take off and <laughs> roll around and, and it's just, it's humbling. It's just no better school than talking to kids. So, so both from a content and a delivery perspective, it was the best school and it was, it was, it was amazing. And I, yeah, I try to stay connected with that time of my life. When you're doing these speaking um, opportunities, what's that main goal that you're hoping that when they leave you, they get out of it? Um, or maybe d- it doesn't depend on who you're talking to. As you said, you talk to kids, but you talk to adults. Yeah, I don't get to talk to kids a lot anymore or at all, uh, which is an absolute tragedy. Um, and, and it's not entirely true. Like I, I do it once or twice a year, but um, the, well, the goal is, that's a good question. And <laughs> the answer, you know, if I'm a good speaker, the answer should be pretty obvious. No, at the end of the talk, I always close with, well, not always, but often close with two things. I say, I hope this felt good and I hope this was useful. So the felt good part is, is me. I just want them to feel alive for an hour, feel like everything's possible. I want them to laugh, to cry, just to be exhausted at the end of the talk. And then the relevant part is, you know, obviously I'm hired by a company. There's some key messages I gotta fit in there. I speak about leadership, agility, um, taking a first step, resilience, all that. So, um, so there has to be some actionable content in there. But yeah, no, to me, what makes a great speaker, I guess, is, is if they're gonna remember and talk about it in six months from now. A lot of clients will, will tell you that if, if my team talks about it six months from now, this is going to be mission accomplished. And part of, the, part of your job is also to create that shared um, experience so that, again, six months later, people can say, do you know when Sebastian said that, said that? Well, this is exactly what we're in right now. And let's try what he suggested. Are you a type of speaker where you go out and find places or companies or how do people find you to speak at? Um, I, I'm, I'm lucky because I don't have to do that anymore. Of course, I don't think anything for granted, but um, I did that at the beginning. You got to sell yourself. Um, but right now I work with uh, an agency that represents me. Um, and um, I, I, yeah, I never do cold calling or emailing or I'll, I'll, I, I never book a venue and uh, sell tickets. Um, I chose the corporate niche. So a big meeting as a national, uh, a big company as a national sales meeting, for example, they look for a speaker. So they go to a number of agencies and hopefully my, my name, my name comes up and, um, and they look at a few speakers and if I'm lucky, they pick me. Uh, What I will say because that sounds easy, right? You get to a level where you just wait and you just take bookings. Um, All of that can disappear in a heartbeat. Um, So your job is to be, it's not to be good, like good's not good enough. Like you have to be absolutely remarkable uh, for an hour. And then that's my biggest piece of marketing. Uh, So, as a business owner, you, you, I, I spent money on, on ads, on Google ads and things like that and never any results, but 
when you speak and there's a thousand people in front of you, if they go, I mean, it's a, a thousand potential champions. So my time is much better spent at building an amazing talk for these people, having a thousand champions who all go home and tell their, their boyfriends and their wives and their friends about it. It's, it's very simple. So 50% of my business is referrals and then 50% is, is the, you know, the good work of the tremendous, amazing agency uh, that I work with. Um, so uh, long story short, good work gets rewarded. So just focus on the quality of your work and don't worry, like things are going to happen for you. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? Um, yeah, back to the, the, and I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, right? So the, can you, because you asked personally and professionally, I really believe like for a, like a fulfilled life, like there shouldn't be two answers here. Uh, the, the expression of, of the why professionally and person, personally obviously is different, but it, to me it's the same thing. So I want to continue to be impactful and help people to take first steps and to, to believe that they can not only believe, but just take bold actions towards very bold goals and things they don't think is possible. And that, that, that is, and I've, I've done the exercise of, of, you know, refining and figuring out what is my why. My why is so simple. I help people to take first steps. So I talk about leadership. I talk about a bunch of business related topics, but at the end of the day, what is it that happens after a talk? People commit, they take a first step, they start running again, they start a business, they, <laughs> they leave their toxic partner, they just, they take action. That's what happens after my talk. So um, I just want to continue to help people do that. So professionally, it's, it's more speaking, it's building better talks. I've, I've taken, so COVID um, impacted business, but I, I, at the end of the day, not much because everything went virtual. Um, but during the pandemic, like uh, we're building a, a totally new keynote that will, I, I want, I want to revolutionize how keynotes are delivered. So we're creating a fully immersive 360 projection kind of experience, right? It, it cannot be just a guy speaking at the front of the room, uh, anymore. So professionally is that and personally, more racing and hopefully more interactions with um, people uh, that I, uh, I can help a little bit. For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Overcome obstacles, what was it? accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge. Uh, commit to, to hard, tough, impossible goals. Um, the goal cannot be possible today. Um, that's important. And you want to, you know, my journey is not about overcoming obstacles. It's choosing obstacles. Like it's bringing obstacles in my life so that I can learn, I can grow, I can fail. I can, you know, I, I can just have a rich journey. Um, 
resilience is, is not something we have or don't have. It's built. It's like a muscle. And it, you're only going to build it if you put yourself in tough positions. Um, so, so, so you, you, I'm not going to say dream big cause it's, it's all like fluffy. And of course, dream big. I just, just take and do something like take one first step tomorrow that toward a goal that you're unsure, uh, about stop thinking about if it's going to work or not, but just, just, um, indulge the, the experience, like just, Make sure you're in a good story. Make sure you're uh, in a challenging environment. Stop worrying, it, worrying, it, worrying about the summit and just enjoy being on the mountain. And then really good things are going to happen. I think that's definitely important because if you look at all these big companies, CEOs, and people have to know that they didn't get there through the easiest route. They had to work hard. They had to challenge themselves and they finally got there after all that hard work. So I think that's definitely important where we all grow from the failures that we go through. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing that we can learn about ourselves. Yeah. And it's, it's the sexy thing, right? To talk about failure and it's always easy to talk about it, but then when you're experiencing it, like I don't, like it more than people do right it's not fun when you fail and i don't want people to think that when i have a flat tire not that it happens often but that i look at the flat tire and i'm like oh thank you god for this growth opportunity no i'm going to be really pissed that day right but it, it's just there's going to be bad days and in, in, in good days and uh but just just challenge yourself a little bit and and in in order for that to be fun you just take the next logical step which is always just a tiny 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 bit bigger than yesterday so whether it works or not you're safe right and it's going to be a good experience whether or not you succeed and that's what you want well sebastian we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge you definitely inspire so many people out there and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you me too <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me this was a lot of fun it was a very genuine organic non-scripted conversation thank you made me feel good so thank you and i hope this was useful to a lot of people Yeah.